bear with us. Okay. Finishing strong, Nehemiah 6. So if you want to turn in your Bibles there, you're welcome to go there um, and read with me. We're just going to slowly read through the first 15 or 20 verses or so. Um, so why, finish, why do we preach from Nehemiah 6? That's not the last chapter of Nehemiah. Well, chapter 6 is actually the chapter where the, where the wall is complete. So we want to finish the, the series on the completion of the wall. But we want to look at finishing strong. The one thing that I often talk to people about in their own Christian walk and their faith is that we can't ever assume that we are going to end well as Christ followers. We can't assume that because I'm doing well in my faith today, that in a year or two or three down the line, my faith is still going to be strong and I'm still going to be serving Jesus as strongly as I do today. What we can assume is that God will hold on to me and no matter what I do, He's going to, His grip is sure. But what we find in humankind and human history is that sometimes we wander, we get distracted or we, we compromise and our life is not, doesn't always end up where it should be. In actual fact, it's actually quite a dangerous thing to think that your life will always progress forward um, spiritually. But I want to read you the story. Do, do any, did any of you watch the movie The Walk of the, the high, high wire walker with the pole? Did you watch the movie? Okay. So I was going to tell you a bit of the story. So it's in 2015. It's a motion picture, a true story about a high wire artist, Felipe Petit. In 1974, he fulfilled his dream of walking between the World Trade Center towers. But in an early scene in the film, he's in a big top circus in France trying um, a rope on a beam or to beam. Felipe says, so his mentor, his dad, Papa, Papa Rudy, tells him, to, tell, sorry, let me travel with the trope. So let me go with the, with the circus. I'm going to learn how to do this. Of course, I, I never did any performances, but any time the big tent was empty, I would practice the wire. In the next scene in the movie, Philippe is high up just under the tent ceiling and balancing himself on a wire with a pole. Papa Rudy enters the tent and looks up at Philippe, who was walking carefully but confidently across the wire. He hesitates as he's about to reach the platform and then takes the more assertive forward step. But suddenly Philippe and, and his wire starts shaking Precariously, he falls to the side, grabbing onto the wire with both hands, barely avoiding falling to his death as the pole plummets to the ground. As he hangs onto the wire with both hands and ground at a great distance below, he slowly works his way to the platform. Breathing heavily and making his way down the ladder, he faces Papa Rudy, who tells him, Most wire walkers, they die when they arrive. They think that they have arrived. But they are still on the wire. If you have three steps to go, if you take those steps arrogantly, if you think that you're invincible, you're dead. This can apply to our Christian faith. If you think you've got this thing, I've got Christianity, I've got this thing going, I'm okay, I'm secure. Yes, we're secure in Christ, but we can't take for granted that we don't have an enemy or that we don't wander from the gospel. I don't, we don't sing this song, there's a hymn we sing, I'm prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. We sing that hymn because there's truth in that, that we have an ability as human beings to wonder. But we're going to learn from this chapter this evening how not to wonder. How do we, what do we say no to in order that we don't wonder and we do finish strong with our faith in what God has called us to? We were worshipping this morning and uh, this evening, and I was actually just thinking of some of you in the room knowing I'm preaching this, going, I wonder how many of us in this room are exactly where we want to be in what God has called us to. Or how many of us go, hey, I thought I would be down the line over there as a Christ follower. I thought Jesus would be doing this to my life by now. And you're kind of going, I'm not sure I've, I've quite got to where Christ wants me or where, what He's called me to. 
And I want to say to you, that's, you if you feel like that, it's not, you're not alone. Many of us wonder. Many of us feel we haven't quite finished and run the race like we ought to. And the Bible's full of heroes. It's got amazing heroes who finish strong. We've got Jesus, who's the, the ultimate hero, who finishes strong, doesn't he? On the cross, sees through the, the, the cross and does that. We've got Joshua, who seems to grow in his stature. We've got Paul, the apostle, who grows in his ministry and grows. And it seems like he finishes strong, so strong that eventually he's, he's crucified for the gospel. And you've got Nehemiah, who, who finishes the wall. Amazingly, we're going to read that. But we also think of Scripture. We think of guys that don't finish strong. Think of Moses. Started strong in his faith and his journey, but never ever entered the promised land. Never ever got to see what God had for him. Think of Samson. Started strongly, finishes poorly. Think of David. Strong starter, but doesn't finish well. The challenge for us is to go to God's word and go, Hey God, how do we finish strong? Our desire is not that you with every day for a few years. And then five years from now, we hear we go, Oh, they don't even go to church anymore. They're not even believers anymore. They... Now, our desire as your pastors and your elders is that you would finish and walk this, rain, this road with Christ strongly. So in verse 15, we're going to read, So the war was completed. This amazing achievement. Nehemiah completes the task that God has set for him. And what makes it exciting in this book is that they start strong in the building and they actually hit some serious challenges, but they continue to build. We read, we've heard that Sunday after Sunday after the last while. They continue building and today we come to the part where they finish it. So how do, we, how do we finish strong? Let's look. Four things today that you're going to say no to in order for you to finish strong in your faith and what Christ has called you to. So we're not going to go all new age worldly and go never say no. Tonight we encourage you to say no to some things. The first thing is to say no to distractions. Say no to distractions. If we read from verse 1 in Nehemiah 6. When the word came to Sambalat, Tobiah and Geshem the Arab, and the rest of the, our enemies, that I had rebuilt the wall, and not a gap was left in it, though, I, though up to that time I had not set the doors and gates. So the wall's finished, now they're getting ready to install the gates and the, and the doors. Sambalat and Geshem sent me this message, Come, let us get meet together in one of the villages of the plain of Ono. But they were scheming to harm me. So I sent a messenger back to them to reply, I'm carrying a, on a great project and cannot go down. I love the language here. Like Nehemiah, I'm, I'm finishing, I'm carrying on a great project. Do not distract me from what I'm busy doing here. Why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to you? Four times they sent me the same message and each time I gave them the same answer. Amazing. Four times these oaks are tempting him. What's happening here? So the enemies, we know Sambalat, if you've been with us on this journey, if you read Nehemiah, these are the guys that are opposing, are not, not keen for the wall to be rebuilt. They're opposing Nehemiah. They are 45 kilometers away from where he's busy building the wall. In those days, they couldn't just jump in a bike or a car and get there in 10, 15 minutes, or five minutes if you were cycling like Anik. Um, but that's, that's a distance. Anik, we all want to know, is your bike okay? So then when Nehemiah's opponents see this project is nearing completion, they say, hey, let's cause a bit of a distraction here. We, we obviously worry more about you than your bike, and you know that. They decide to change their strategy a bit. And so what they're doing now is, hey, Nehemiah, leave the building and come and bribe down the road. We've got drinks. We've got a party going. We've got everything here. Do you just leave the project? You're almost done. You deserve a break. Come and bribe down the road. Invite them to come and celebrate the new governorship and work out their differences, saying, we want to make peace with you. They don't want to make peace. They actually just want to distract and stop him from doing what he's actually busy doing. But I love Nehemiah's response. Why should, the, why should the work stop while I leave it and go down to see you? 
Nehemiah realizes that these guys are out to distract him from what God has got him. Young and old amongst us, one of the key strategies that the enemy has is for you not to finish your race well for Christ. Not just ministry or calling, just even your faith, is to distract you from the main thing. Make something else the main thing in your life. Distractions. I love how Hebrews 12, verse 1 to 2 says this. Let us throw away of of everything that hinders and the sin that easily entangles. And let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. God has called you and I to run a race for Him until the last day that we don't have any air in our lungs left. We are meant to run and pursue this race. How do we say no to God? C.S. Lewis says this. If you read history, you will find that Christians who did the most for the present world were just those who thought most of the next world. If you want to change South Africa, we have to have a really high view of heaven and what God looks like and what God's kingdom looks like for us to want to bring South Africa into that. Aim at heaven and you you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth and you will get neither. If we think all our work is just here at this level, but there's no heavenly kingdom going on, no, no, no. You say, aim at heaven, you get earth, everything gets thrown into. Aim at earth and you literally walk away with nothing. Be careful of this world becoming a distraction to us. Andy Stanley um, is a very good communicator and he communicates this and, and he says this. It sounds to us when it comes to distractions in our life, and what do we say yes to, what do we say no to? So, hey, Arno, how do we, what is good to say yes to, what is no to say, what is good to say no to and he says this about it like we he says we basically have to cheat to live like this and this is why he says it sounds bad but it's true but all of us choose and must choose to cheat it's simple the problem is not a lack of discipline or time management it is simply the lack of time we only have 24 hours a day and seven days in a week each one of us with only 24 hours each in the day we cannot do everything that comes our way we think we can give 100% to church or 100% to God or to family or to our job or to our hobbies or to leisure, whatever that looks like. And before you know it, there's a 500% of 500% asking for 100%. It just doesn't fit in that way. It can't be done. Anytime we set a priority, we have said that something else in that moment is less important. As soon as we've, we've come here, we've said to something else that is not as important. So I'll use a simple, silly thing. I'll come to church when, when Liverpool's playing Man United. What am I doing? I'm deciding that being at church, not just because it's my job, just like I know Bishop's going to say that, yeah, you only get paid one day a week. No, no. I, could I stay and watch Man United with my mates play Liverpool, or do I go to church? As soon as I make a decision, what have I done? I've prioritized something. I've said, this is more important than that. And people go, oh, you can't put, don't put those heavies on. We actually, that's it. If we come to church, we leave our family at home. We're saying, church, and what God you're calling me to hear, I could be at home just chilling and relaxing or resting. No, no, this is more important. And Andy Stanley literally says, every decision you make, every yes you make, you're saying a no to something else. The challenge with modern church, if I can be brutally honest, is it feels like church has almost become at the same level as entertainment and all kinds of other things instead of being such a high priority. We've kind of thought that church and belonging and serving and being at church is like, hey, it's at the same level as a nice beach day or or a bride with our friends or watching a Liverpool game or or, or my my, I can't go to gym any other time. I have to go to gym now. And and the sad thing for me as a pastor is we've seen church become, in a culture where it was a high value where we're going, we're saying no to other things to be here. Warren could be home tonight with his family. 
He works hard. He works all day, all week. He works. He's grafting in a new in a new work environment. He's got a young young wife and a young young kid at home. He's going. This is my Sunday night. Am I going to be there? Am I, where am I going to be? And you're going. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Are you saying that that? Yeah, I'm saying. At some stage, we have to say no to even our family. We have to say no to certain little things in our lives to honor Christ and to follow Him. And it does feel like a bit like I'm cheating, isn't it? Why do I have to choose? Because we have to choose. We have to choose what do we build with our lives, what do we give our lives to. And I'm contending that we build what God is building. When I think it's Yancey that speaks in a, Is it Yancey that wrote the message, eh? Josh, not Yancey... Um, Peterson, Eugene Peterson wrote in the message, when they say, what is the church? In Ephesians, when it talks about the church, he says the church is, is God. If you say, God, what are you doing on this earth? God would take a, like a, a, a curtain. He will draw the curtain, the secrecy of what he's doing on this planet. He will draw the curtain away and he will reveal the church to the world. Saying, what is God doing now? He's building the church. His church. He's building a church and a people and a community and a spiritual family that shows the world what is to come. What it could be like to be true human beings. This morning at Greenfields we were worshipping and we had, we had the, those ladies came dressed to the T in Culture Heritage Day. It was one of the richest times. You looked over the congregation and you go, only Jesus could have, I had my fellies, my Afrikaans fellies and jeans and a fishing shirt. because the only khaki I own. A khaki fishing shirt. Claire doesn't like hearing that. On, now, and you're standing and you say, what would the Afrikaans guy, not a light anymore, um, that grew up in an erratically Afrikaans home with a policeman as his father, be worshipping with a Kosa lady who lost her husband in a car accident and has raised three kids on her own? And what would cause them to love each other, respect each other, and worship one king together? That's what God's doing. This is not just me and my mates on a Sunday night hanging together and we, we, we think church is pretty okay because our friends go there. We, the church is what God is doing in this world. This is His plan A, B, C, and D to the world. Is the local church, the body that He's creating here. Let's not be distracted from what God is doing. I pray for all of you. Like let's, let's, let's prioritize what God is doing. Let's not get distracted. Secondly, we say no to cowardice. Verse 5. Then the fifth time, How's that fifth time that these acts, they don't stop. Can I just say, if you decide, God, I'm not going to be distracted this evening again in my life for you. It, it doesn't mean that Satan is not going to stop inviting you or placing distractions in your heart. Then the fifth time, Sanballat sent, sent a, um, his, his aid to me with the same message. And in his hand was an unsealed letter in which it was written. It is reported among the nations, and Geshem says it is true that you and the Jews are plotting a revolt, and therefore you are building the wall. Moreover, according to these reports, you are about to become their king and have, an appoint, and have appointed prophets to make this proclamation about you in Jerusalem. There is a king in Judah, is the proclamation. Now this report will go back to the king to come. Let us meet together. I sent him this reply. So this is now Nehemiah responding. Nothing like what you have said or is saying is happening. You are just making it up out of your head. Literally, that's in the Bible. They were all, they were all trying to frighten us, thinking their hands will, go, will get too weak for the work and will not be completed. But I prayed, now strengthen my hands. What's happening is yeah, he's saying, Geshem and Sanballat are saying, we're going to send an open letter 
Have you seen those open letters? Dear Cyril or dear Russi. Like open letter to Russi or open letter to whoever. When the guys do that. You know what they're trying to do? They're trying to embarrass the person. So there's an open letter. They're saying, we are going to write an open letter where every king and ruler and governor will see it. And they will see it as fact that you are causing a revolt and you are wanting to be treasonous against the very king that enabled you to restore this war. And Nehemiah's response is, all they're trying to do is frighten us so we work slower. So we take a step back and we go, we're not going to preach Jesus. We're not going to go and preach what the Bible says. We're going to go a little bit softer on these things because we're scared that they're going to go against us. And it's happening in our culture in our day to day where the church is being caused. And, and you, you, you talked about church and sexuality. Church, keep quiet. Don't say a word about what the Bible says about sexuality or gender or anything like that. We, there are certain areas in church life and culture at the moment where the church is almost being muzzled and saying, don't tell husbands and wives how to lead their, their, their marriages. Don't tell us how to raise our kids. Don't tell us about our gender or our sexuality or how to work. Don't tell us how to deal with our money. Yet... And for Nehemiah, he's saying, hey, we, get, we hear those threats, but it's not going to slow us down. We're still going to fight for truth. We're still going to stand. We know what we're doing and what we're not doing. Nothing like what you're saying is true is happening. You're making these things up. If we are to finish strong, we might be required to test the amount of backbone that we have as a church. This is not scaremongering. This is not saying, hey, it's us against them. This world we live in is not going to become more and more friendly towards the gospel and God's truth and God's word. It's not. It's just not the world we live in. It's not where culture is going. It's not the plan of the devil. The devil's plan is, he's not thinking, how can I make it easier for Christians in the future? He's going in the opposite direction. How can I make this more and more difficult for you to speak truth like this? Charles Lyon says this. He says, the quota of wimpy Christian has been filled. <laughs> we have enough of those that are just wimping out on truth, are prepared to sacrifice the, the true gospel and go for something softer, more congenial, that's, that's easier to listen to, that doesn't challenge us. Don't talk about our sins. Don't tell us that we're sinners, that we need repenting and that we have to own our own sin. Don't, don't talk about that. Just tell us that everything's going to work out well. Just tell us how much God loves us and He's for us and He's going to give us all our dreams in our hands. Just tell us that. But don't call us to, to, to own our sin, to repent of our sin. Our future as a church, the church for me, is not about whether we're going to be popular or not, but whether we're going to have enough backbone to stand on the truth that Christ has called us to keep proclaiming and keep proclaiming. Because that for us is where life is, isn't it? Truth and life comes in Christ. We can't stop proclaiming Christ as a church. And we want to say to you as your pastors and elders, the minute that you see us whimping out... (laughs) Hey, honor, where's the truth? Where's the gospel in your preaching? You have every right and responsibility to step up and say, Hey, come on, we committed to this truth. We are not going to back down on God's truth. And just because we have a truth that might be different to the world doesn't mean that we have to wave fingers and be angry at the world. We, we trust God for grace and wisdom to be, to be, to be wise in how we con- and not come across as fearful of the world. We're so scared of them and what they think of us. Slow us down. Thirdly, say no to compromise. Verse 10. One day I went to the house of um, Shemaiah, son of Delia, the son of Mehetabel, who was shut in, the, shut in at his house. He said, let us meet in the house of God inside the temple and let us close the temple doors because some people are coming to kill you. He's a prophet. So there's a prophet now coming to, to, to Nehemiah saying, you better go hide in the house of God in the temple. They are out to kill you. By night they are coming to kill you. But I said, should someone like me run away? 
There's that backbone again, like a bit of, hey, the quota of wimpy Christians have been filled. No, there's no more room for any more wimpiness here. Should someone like me run away or should one like me go into the temple to save his life? What's going on here? The temple is reserved for who? The priest in the Old Testament. Only the priest and only God goes into the temple. An ordinary builder like Nehemiah, he was not a priest. He was a man that put up his hand saying, God, would you use me to build your, your wall? I realize that God has not sent him. What's sticking in his mind? He's saying, he's taking what a prophet says and he's measuring it against the truth that he knows is in God. Number one, God's saying, don't be afraid. Don't run. I've got you. And this guy's saying, hide in the temple. Number one, he's already saying, I need to be fearful and hide. Would God call me to fear and hide and run like that? Maybe, maybe he can preserve my life. But then the next thing he says, but would a prophet of God tell me to go into the temple where I know I'm not allowed to go and meet with God? See what's happening. Nehemiah's measuring the truth of God against even guys that proclaim to say we are speaking the truth. You have a responsibility as an ordinary everyday people member to know God's word so well that if someone gets up in the pulpit or from the front on the mic that doesn't speak the truth of the gospel, that you're able to go, hey, that's not the truth. We're not going to listen to that. We're not going to obey that. We're not going to go where you want to go. That's not just on your elders. Yes, we have a major responsibility, but it's also on you to go, what are you feeding us? Honor, where are you going? What are you guys preaching? Have you lost your marbles? That's not God's word. Nehemiah knew enough to resist and stand against that. And I realized that God had not sent him, but that he had prophesied against me because Tobiah and Sanballat had hired him. Hired hand of God. Now I can spend the next five hours talking about men that present themselves as men of God that are serving money and finances and the prosperity gospel. And go, guys, if you hear anybody get up saying, I am the man of God, run. That's it. You've seen, I've seen these like little TikToks where they go, run. Like, no, no, when you see a guy, get up. Like, I'm that cool. Uh, someone sent me something the other day. Just, they, they had a guy come up with a, uh, with a white chair. And, and, the, and then the, uh, they, they panned to the guy's face and went, run. And they ran out of the church. Guys, if guys get up and preach any gospel other than this, run. Or fight or stand and say, my dream would be for every day one day for someone to preach here. And not for me to get up, but one or two of the guys, even ladies, not even, but guys or ladies. But guys, it's our, we need to protect our flock. To step up and go, hey, honor, what's going on here? This is not on. Not me. That's my dream. Is that we as a church would know the truth so well that any counterfeit comes in, we would step up and go, flop, no ways are we going to listen to this oak. Oh no, cut the sound. This is done. We, we're done. We're moving on here. Yeah. Can you imagine that? But for that to happen, we need to know the truth itself. But compromising, like the, even sometimes men of God can call us to, to compromise. I pray that we would never do that as your elders or your pastors. Lastly, say no to prayerlessness. Say no to prayerlessness. Don't think that you don't need God. Keep on your knees. Keep praying. You'll notice in our, in our morning services, in our evening services, sorry, everywhere, at all three of our congregations, the one beautiful thing that Talita is helping us do is weaving prayer into our services as a church. We want to make prayer as normal in a Sunday gathering as worship and preaching is where we click into it. It won't always be in groups. It will be different ways of doing it. But we want to get into a culture as a church where when we gather, we pray, and it's easy, and we love praying, etc. It means we need to juggle our time, and we need to preach shorter, which you'll all be happy with, but that's what we're going to do. 
Verse 14. Remember to buy and sell my, my God because of what they have done. Remember also the prophet Nadea. He's literally naming all his enemies. Remember, hey God, remember all these things? Remember all these guys having a go at me, trying to intimidate me? So the war was completed on the 25th of Elul in 52 days. Wow. When all our enemies heard about this, all the surrounding nations were afraid. Yes, why they were afraid. And lost their self-confidence. They were cocky and self-confidence. Now they're afraid. Now they're not so sure about themselves. Why? Because they realized that this work had, had been done with the help of our God. This project, this thing, that be this wall being rebuilt, was not just the work of ordinary people. There was an almighty God that got involved. In, in 1 Samuel, when, when Jonathan and the armor bearer go up to fight, and there's two of them against the whole army at the top of the hill, or other side of valley or a crevice or a, a crag, the earth shakes. They overcome the enemy, but the earth shakes. And the earth shakes in that story... And that biblical, because God wanted everybody to know, this is what, there wasn't just two guys fighting well. I was involved with what was going on. Every church, every one of us, you and I, need something in our lives where we feel God is at work here. This is not just honor's mission. This is not just the elder's idea. This is not just the 40 of us or 50 of us. No, no, God is involved here. Then our city will look and go, this is amazing. What happened this morning, when we were worshiping at Greenfields, and we saw the, the radical diversity we literally, we literally at Greenfields, we had Kosa, we had Zambian, we had Zimbabwe, we had colored, we had Indian, we had English, we had Irish, we had Afrikaans, we had young and old. We had the diversity like on full display this morning at Greenfields this morning. People look at that from the outside. No matter what race you, you walk into a room like that, you go, this is not just normal. This is not happening everywhere in our city or in our country. And they walk away not with, wow, what an amazing church. They should walk away with, wow, what an amazing God. How often do we walk away going, what an amazing God. Not church, not a gathering, not a preach, not a worship session. No, no, what an incredible God we serve. Verse 9, he says, but I prayed early on. Now strengthen my hands. Nehemiah didn't resist he didn't give in to, not give in to compromise. He didn't not, comp, not, not give in to temptation. He didn't, he didn't not be distracted in his own strength. He literally goes, says, God, these compromises, distractions are all there. I'm coward. I'm going to be scared. I'm intimidated. And he says, would you strengthen me? We do this because he strengthens us. 1 Corinthians 10 verse 12 says this. Be careful if you think that you are standing firm. You might fall. There's a humility that the gospel allows us to come with saying, God, we don't want to be arrogant wire walkers. We realize that this faith thing is by your grace and your grace alone. Would you strengthen us? I'd love to pray for us while we have communion, if that's okay this evening. So if I can invite you, would you take the communion and just, we can be upstanding afterwards. We're going to worship. We're going to sing, if that's okay, Jono. Um, let's grab or let's help ourselves to our communion. And then we, we're going to look to Christ to strengthen us.